Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. I'm your coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and I'm here to share all my ups, downs, and all-arounds of being a mom to my gorgeous Adia, owning a fitness business called Define London, and truly managing being a unsingle single mom as we cheer on my husband and his amazing business in Uganda. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, is this a mic check? You heard that right. Uganda, and he is not doing the daily commute. So each week, I will be joined by a fellow inspiring, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We all need to take a deep breath together. We try, we navigate, and not be too hard on ourselves. I get it. I am human, and failures simply happen. I am not shiny, and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am, at its best and worst, busy mumsy. Welcome back to the Busy Mumsy Podcast, my beautiful friends. Ashley Verma here, and I have a small confession about the guests that are on the show next. I'm going to tell you, it's a very true story. I have stalked the next two guests on their Instagram and podcast for the past two years. Oh my God, it's it's so true. It just is. I am committed to excellence and I am completely committed to the excellence of Jess and TJ. They have a brilliant podcast called The TJ Show, The TJ Podcast, TJ Radio. I mean, all of the things, they're just brilliant. They have strived, thrived, and survived a lot. And I am beyond honored to have them on the show. So let's get into the conversation. Jess and TJ, welcome to the Busy Mumsy podcast. Thanks for having us. We're yeah. so happy to be here. It's great to meet you, Ashley. It's really nice to meet you. And TJ, I just need you to get a little more excited. Is this, is, <laughs> how excited do you want me to be? I, I definitely can go to different levels. I need, I need you at levels. So I'm going to tell you a little story before we jump into everything else. Um, I came across the TJ show the podcast, um, back in September of 2020. So I have been following Jess for quite some time and we will get into that. So Jess and I, for the listeners, Jess and I met, we didn't meet, but we share a background of Broadway and, um, she performed, um, I actually did see you PS, by the way, I did see you in a chorus line. Hey girl. No hey. I did. Um, oh. I can't remember if it was in LA I, or I if it was in LA. Or if it was in like Costa, Ma- it was in a California arena. Yeah. yeah. And I did see you play Christine. Uh, Do you have any video of that? Were you rolling it on your, <laughs> was the phone working at that time? I still have never seen her perform in that role. And I wish I could. I don't know if there's a video of it somewhere. I, not, not to date us, Jess, but I, I think I had a flip phone. Yeah. <laughs> well, some of them were very advanced at the time. Sorry. Yeah, but, uh, to be fair, I mean, I, I just got like an Apple phone maybe last year. So I'm very <laughs> on the times when it comes to all that. But what I wanted to get to was that I started, I, I have been following Jess and so, and, and the ups, downs and all arounds, and we will get to all of that. But mm-hmm. I was also then introduced to your podcast. Mm. And I need to ask before we start the busy mumsy journey together, how is Milo, the electrician, doing? Because that episode in September of 2020 had me in stitches. I made my husband Ricky listen to it. <laughs> the man ended up a pole and the dogs were stuck running after him. I mean, have you checked he, in on him? Yeah, he is a wonderful man and uh, does a great job for the company that he works for. <laughs> and 
Yes, I don't even remember what episode number that was, but that was a long time that ago. That was towards the beginning. I was so intrigued by that story that I actually drove to him and set up a whole little studio in his backyard just to have that interview that you're talking about. That, that particular interview of knowing that the neighbor was so angry that someone had shimmied up the electric pole to deal with the cable that she allowed her demon dogs to just run out and like <laughs> wreak havoc. I, I just, I honestly, I felt for the man. I, I just, you know, you know, two years later, I guess, you know, we're, we're two years later. I, I hope he has not had any other issues up that pole. Yeah, these utility workers who do work around our house, here, I mean, that was a, such a wild story. He went out and he just had to do a regular checkup. And this woman wouldn't let him in, in the backyard where the access point was. He goes in there because he has the right to do it and he has to fix electricity for the neighborhood. And this woman let the dogs out on oh him and gosh. they were like ready to attack him and he had to climb up the pole to run away. And I, the story was so off the wall. I couldn't believe someone would do that. That's why on our podcast, we make space for these places. <laughs> I know a lot of people love interviewing the biggest celebrities in the world. Those stories are the ones that I seek out. Mm -hmm. I got to find those stories and get them on the podcast. No, they, they pull at your heartstrings mm -hmm. for sure. And they're memorable. Like they are so, I, I, I'm still laughing about it. And, and here <laughs> we are two years later. And I'm so finally, I get to meet you both and, <laughs> and just check in on Milo. So so do me a favor after this recording, um, just, just, just give him a, a gentle email and just, <laughs> or, or a gentle text and just see how he is doing. Absolutely. So, so let's, let's have a busy mumsy chat about three glorious children mm -hmm. that you parent, mm -hmm. Charlie, Willa, and Noah, and then one beautiful, glorious, heavenly angel, Luca, mm -hmm. who is looking over you and your entire family every day. I mean, you have a very busy house. So mm -hmm. what is breakfast like? <laughs> Jess makes it and it's delicious. I do a lot of mornings. I don't really know. I I don't think this is what everyone should do, but I do usually make a hot breakfast because I know my girls will make it, eat it. And um, we have three daughters that we parent. Um, Charlie is seven and Willa is three and Noah is two. And I, they, 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 they will eat cereal, but like, I don't know. I feel like cereal isn't so great for you. Like you don't get a lot of protein or any protein, I guess a little bit in the milk. So I usually make like pancakes and I sneak in peanut butter and chia seed and like flaxseed and fiber and also chocolate chips and they eat it. And so usually I make pancakes, I guess, and they like, you know, we'll sit around. We have like a kitchen island and they'll sit around and they'll eat and, and it's fun. It's like, it's, we're really um, lucky in that our girls do not wake up early. They sleep they sleep in until like 8, 8.30, which is incredible. And our oldest is homeschooled. So we're not in a big rush in the morning. So we kind of have like an easy morning, which is like really nice. So would you say then parenting right now is kind of like easy, breezy, or is it a bit like manic, crazy, fun house? So I would never use the word parent or I would never use the word easy with parenting because it is, um, I mean, there are some days that TJ and I just look at each other and we're just like, take a deep breath because there's so much chaos involved, right? Like, especially dealing with three personalities that are um, different levels of ability to regulate their emotions. 
and different expectations. And like what last week, our three-year-old had the longest tantrum that we've ever experienced. Like at bedtime, she couldn't find a certain pair of unicorn pants. And she literally pulled out every article of clothing in her entire bedroom. And she was screaming. Like, I don't know if your daughter screams, but our three-year-old just has an amazing ability to sustain screaming at like top lungs. And she was just screaming and screaming. And finally it had gone on for so long. TJ was like, you have to go to sleep. Like you have to stay in your crib and, and sleep. You we can't force you to sleep. You have to stay in your crib. And she finally passed out. And I kid you not the next morning, it was like 11 hours later, I come down, I get her up. I'm like, okay, well, time to get up. She opens her eyes and she's like, where are my unicorn pants? And I thought for sure she would, and then she starts screaming again and it's just screaming. And this is actually one morning we do have to be somewhere by nine. And finally, like TJ just has to carry her into the car and I have to bring her shoes and we just have to strap her in. And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel great that you're strapping your screaming child into a car seat, but like she's not able to calm down and I am not able to, you can't force someone to calm down. You can give them support. You can try to help, but it's like, you cannot force someone to calm down or eat or drink is what I've learned. <laughs> and so, no, it's definitely not easy breezy, but there are moments, there are moments where like last week we brought them all to the beach and it was a big effort to get there. It was a long car ride. So there was like some screaming in the car, but once we got there, they played so beautifully at the beach. And there's moments like that where you're like, this is why we wanted to do this. Like I see a glimpse of this like harmonious, peaceful. It's like when the orchestra all comes together and you just, you're like, that's music, you know? And it's like very different than someone learning a recorder by themselves and it's sounding horrible, but sometimes that's music too. But like you have these orchestra moments and that we had that at the beach and we have those and I try to like bury them in my heart and remember them being like, this is encouraging. Or even, even like um, the other day, I saw like our three-year-old share something without being told with our two-year-old and stuff like that where I'm like, she's being kind. Like she's being kind on her own. I didn't tell her, nobody threatened her. <laughs> she's not gonna be punished if she's not. And so there's moments, you know, where it doesn't, it's not even feels easy, but it feels like deeply satisfying or like this is, this is not for nothing. And there is so much um, meaning here that it's really beautiful. No, no, it is. So then let's go back to that easy time that probably didn't feel so easy in the moment. And that was when you both met. So that the time before kids, mm -hmm. the going, let, let, let's go, let, let's start then back to where you both met in the hustle and bustle of New York, where it was, you know, for anyone to get from point A to point B and where's my takeout coming from and am I going to make the train and no, I missed the train and God damn it, I'm on the A train and <laughs> going the wrong direction. Yeah. So, so it's not trust. I, I, I get you and the listeners get, get it. Parenting is not easy and we will continue to talk about that, but let's go back to the simple time yeah. first to when, when did the two of you meet? How did you meet? My gosh, was it an app? Were you on your flip phone? Did like, how did it all come about? TJ's, I, I can tell TJ wants to tell yeah, the story. Like but also, but also were you looking, was this like the right time for you to be looking for love? Hmm. Yeah, that's a 
potentially long answer, but I'll try and make it the nutshell version. Um, I was working in New York City on a syndicated morning show out of New York called Elvis Duran and the Morning Show, and I was a part of that ensemble, and I was pretty down. I, here I was in this great position, and I loved the show, and I loved the people that I worked for. But you I loved being in radio. Loved radio, yeah, and I just, I, but I wasn't feeling fulfilled for some reason, and I realized it, and um, I had never thought to do this before, but I got on my knees and I prayed, and I literally just asked God to bring a girl into my life that I can love more and more every day, and someone that would bring me closer to Him, someone that I could start a family with, and within two months, through this wild chain of events, um, and I wasn't even thinking that, oh, Jess is the girl that I'm going to marry, but I, I was doing interviews for a podcast within that radio station and that show, and uh, Jess had this big story happen in New York City. There was this big local story. She was waiting on a subway platform. She had a ukulele on her back. Some buskers asked her if she knew how to play it. They wind up getting on the train together. She, well, they asked for my number. They did ask for her phone number. number. Um, but long story <laughs> short, she, yeah. <laughs> she starts playing her ukulele, playing one of her songs. They start playing the bongos, and someone takes out their phone and starts recording it, uploads it to YouTube. Within days, gets over a million hits. Jess becomes this local New York story. And she winds up on one of the morning television shows performing it live. A listener brings that to my attention because they know that I do these new music interviews and interviews with artists that are up and coming. And I thought it was a really intriguing story. So I invited her up and it was just this interview. So our first conversation was actually on tape. Yeah. And we spoke for about 45 minutes. And after that, I never thought I'd ever see her again. And she actually reached out to me and asked if I would be willing to go grab a dinner. No, I asked if you'd just be my friend. Okay, so I said I yes. I wrote, like, a really unnecessarily long email. I couldn't stop thinking about him. There was something about him that was very different than I'd ever seen. Like, he was creative and a performer, but in a space that I had no knowledge of. I didn't, I, you know, I hadn't thought about, like, personalities. I hadn't ever, I was always a performer on a stage, dancing or singing or acting or whatever. And And he was also so, in that interview, he had such a high level of like production value and he cared so much and he cared so much about the mic and where I was and how it sounded and I was just like that is so sexy like he cares so much about what he's doing and he has this and he's clearly successful at it and I just had never met anyone like him and I was like if I don't reach out I'll never see him again because when am I I don't hang out at radio stations like there's just no way and so I wrote him a really long email asking him to be my friend and saying P.S. I don't want to date you, which is so embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, like, who needs to say that? Like, why would I even? And I even said, I don't assume that you want to date me, but I just want to be really clear. <laughs> it was like way too long. So embarrassing. And TJ very graciously read it and thought. Well, we should grab a bite to eat. But you also thought she likes me. Well, with further reflection, yeah. <laughs> but we went out to dinner. The dinner was like, what, two or three hours. Mm -hmm. We had this great conversation. And then. Again, I, I didn't know if I'd ever see her. I just thought we were kind of going out to this fun meal. She told me she didn't want to date me. And then she reached out again. She said, would you like to join me for this event that I'm going to? That turned into a dinner and then a dessert. And I decided place. I did want to date him. Yeah, I was and, like, why did I write that? I do want to date him. And it just started to click. And I, I loved hanging out with her, wanted more opportunities to hang out with her. I started to hear more stories about her life and just became intrigued about who she is and um, I never really met anyone like her. 
So I, I felt like she was an answer to that prayer that I prayed. And before we knew it, we were moving on up to Boston. I, I took a radio job up there hosting a morning show. And, you know, we've, we started a whole family there. We are, are just, I mean, I'm shocked at what life looks like. I was just telling Jess last night, I'm just so thankful mm-hmm. for her and for our girls. And it really is hard to believe. I, I couldn't have imagined that in some of the dark moments of feeling like, oh, I don't know if I'll ever meet someone, that this would one day be my life. And I'm so grateful for it. And then it's also, back to parenting, sometimes frustrating <laughs> but but it's overall, not without the tension right? yeah but overall it's, it's just interesting so wonderful and i mean jess and i were just having this conversation last night i mean i tell her all the time i can't even believe like i don't i can't imagine someone who's a better fit just for somebody i want to hang out with all the time someone that i want to be best friends with than jess and it's it blows my mind so i don't know how to explain it other than that it's a miracle I, honestly, it, it it is mind blowing that Jess, you you spent very small amount of time with TJ and just completely felt safe. Isn't it? It really is. I think about that too. I I did feel really safe with him, and also you asked if we were like looking for love, and I think maybe TJ, you were. Right? Would you say you were? And at least you said well, that the right, there. I was looking for the right person. Yeah. And I had been through a really painful divorce, like maybe a little bit over a year before that, maybe a year and a half, maybe a little more. But um, I was not, I had no idea what my life would look like. And I didn't know if I would get married again. I, I, it had always been a dream to be a mom. So I That's hope that would ask. happen. Yeah, that, okay. yeah. Always like that had always been something that, um, you know, I've learned that it's not a given for sure. But I think when you're growing up, it feels like a given if that's in your heart. And so I, when I did get divorced, that was devastating. Cause I was like, I don't know that I'll meet someone and start a family and get to be a mom. But so anyway, by the time I met TJ, I, I, I wasn't necessarily looking for love and I didn't, and I definitely wasn't thinking I would meet a guy on the radio and fall in love with him. And that, and that he would even have like, this sounds really judgmental, but that he would even have the kind of character of a person like that I would want to marry and that I would want to start a family with. Cause you think of people in on the radio, like not like they're horrible people at all, but, but maybe just, I would be shocked if they had similar values to the values that I had. And the more I got to know TJ, the more I just liked him and trusted him. And it did seem that did seem, seem easy breezy to use that word. Like, it was just, we talk about those days in New York City. It was so fun. Like we would just spend all of our time together. And it was like, we, I, I understand why people just want to go home when they meet their person because that's where their person is. And like, I lost interest in going out and trying to like go to clubs and, and meet other people because my world became so small. It became like this one person and it, it was just like simple and like weekends were amazing. We could just do whatever we wanted, which is so different when, when you become a parent. But, um, but I think yeah. it's important though for, for, for listeners to understand that with their partner, that it's still, you, you said it earlier about you still have that spark, that magic, that want, that need to hang out with my, my partner. And 
talk about nonsense. I mean, talking about nonsense is a great thing when it has nothing to do with Coco Melon and, you know, the wheels on the bus go round and round. I mean, how many versions of that song do you know? Um, I, I, I find it just a wonderful, comforting, safe, thing to hear and needs to constantly be put out there because there is so much yuck and tragic and everything going on that to hear your story that you found safety in TJ and TJ found so much love and light in you and it was so unexpected and it even for you Jess I mean you essentially then up left your career as a Broadway performer and moved to Boston yeah I I, I well, just, but that was not because of that. You, no, but I left. I mean, I was like, I make it sound like I was hero TJ there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't like. I I was doing more music at that point, like yeah. more of my own music. Um, but I I TJ told me he said like um I don't even know how long we'd been dating, but not that long. Like maybe I don't know. Like, yeah, less than a year. Less than a year, and he said, "Hey, I'm I'm in." talks with this with this company and about moving to Boston and have doing a morning show and he said is that something like would you ever consider moving to Boston and I had such a deep sense of peace in my heart and I just had these two really distinct thoughts that he's going to get the gig and we're going to go to Boston and I just knew it and I said yeah absolutely like I just felt I think there's just sometimes where this this divine sense of peace and like motion and it's you you're not even causing it to happen but it's your job to just go with that flow and be like yes this is right this is and it and it was right and I'm I'm grateful for it I, I, no it's absolutely beautiful and the, the the journey to Boston led you to marriage and it led you then what did, did you fall pregnant rather quickly after you were married or um, yeah we were married in November and we were pregnant by March. Okay. And how was your um, first pregnancy? It was really peaceful. Um, like it, I mean, I think back on it and it was like blissfully ignorant, you know, like it was just lovely and peaceful, no scares at all. Everything always good news with the doctors. Um, I had a midwife at Mass General Hospital, which is like one of the best hospitals in the world. And it was a huge blessing. And I, I didn't even know how good it was. It felt, you know, I'd never been pregnant before, but it, it just felt very peaceful. And um, I hadn't gone through any loss, so I didn't know anything different. Yeah, no, I, I, I actually shared the same experience with you. And um, for you, TJ, as a first time father what what was what was the experience um for you well if anyone was watching me and judging me as a dad it would just be embarrassing <laughs> because i had no idea what to do and i was we actually recently talked about this in one of our podcast episodes but it's true that when our daughter charlie was born i was truly afraid to pick her up i didn't want to hurt her and I, and that's really weird. You, you hear these stories about dads saying, oh, I couldn't wait to pick up my baby. And all I could think of was like, wasn't her neck really fragile? And isn't that dangerous to pick her up? So I had a lot of learning to do. And thankfully, Jess is saint-like and her patience is amazing. And I just, I watched, you know, I watched what she's doing with the babies and it was a lot of learning and being very careful. And then eventually 
I could pick her up and would toss her well, around and have fun with her. No, and I said, you have to hold her. I, I would, <laughs> you have to be able to hold your baby. I would see some dads at the park throwing their, their kids up in the air like four feet. And I'm like, you know, we'll go with an inch. And, <laughs> uh, you know. and not a newborn at that yeah, point. No, no, no. There have been some time. But it just took a little time. And, and now it is, again, another miracle. I look around and I'm like, I can't believe I'm so comfortable with kids. I just, I was not like this at all before our daughter was born. I, I had no experience. I had never held a baby before my first daughter. Oh, I, I get, now I wish that my husband was here, but of course he's in Uganda. Um, <laughs> we should have had him in on this one as well. He, he would actually say the exact same thing. He, he didn't have a Scooby, um, but I, I unfortunately was not as calm and tranquil as Jess in the like, having the child and just kind of like the, the ease of it. I, I think I was, I was still a bit manic of like, what am I doing? I don't, I mean, I think TJ is, I think he's, uh, honestly, it wasn't, it was like, it's such a, for me, it's such a, it's hard to encapsulate becoming a first time mom because the love that you feel is incredible and there's nothing like that. But also at the same time, I definitely felt like a grief for the life that I had lost and the freedom that I had. And I remember people texting me and being like, Oh, are you, does it just feel so magical? Are you so happy? And I was like, I'm not happy necessarily all the time. Like I'm really, really tired and my body really hurts and breastfeeding really hurts. And like, I, I don't know when I'll sleep again ever. And all of those things, the physical hardship of it, of course, affects your mental state and I remember like scrolling through social media and seeing my friends like do the things they'd always done like take yoga classes or you know all the things that that we do and I'm like oh I'll never do that again like I, I am now in this little prison with the most beautiful jailkeeper who's so adorable but it really does feel like this thing that it feels like forever it, you don't realize that it's it's this fleeting time because you can't know that because you've never been there before. And it's so consuming that it does just feel like forever. And so I had a lot of a lot of emotions. And I, I do believe that probably most, if not all moms experience some sort of um, like, I don't know, neurosis might be too strong of a word, but baby blues. Right. Like maybe not full scale um, postpartum depression or anxiety, um, but like some sort like your hormones have gone out with your placenta and you just have no way to regulate all this stuff and your body isn't you can't recognize your body so i wouldn't use the word easy for sure it was actually it was really hard like i am so grateful that i'm a mom every single second of my life and i never want to become a first-time mom again like i'm so grateful i did that and i won't become and with each consecutive baby it was different it wasn't like that which felt like this transition, this baptism by fire. Well, I, I, I think that the man upstairs knows that you can handle it. And I, I, I'm a firm believer that the, the writing is on the wall and sometimes it's not the best of writing on the wall, but it's handed to people that have, you know, for lack of the better, broad shoulders, um, but a strong spine and a huge support network. Mm. I mean, Jess, you, you have this, beautiful angel baby, Luca. And 
Yeah, I, I just for the listeners, I, I even messaged um, just last night just to be like, is is it okay? Because I, I, you know, I, I, I love your journey, and I know that that's a strange thing to say at this given moment, but no. I just do because it's a, it's such a support from from me a thousand and bazillion percent. So I, I would I would love for you to share a story of you a. a a a time in your life that is still a part of you immensely that you you go through every day but but something that was so unexpected and yet you still live in a space that is so safe that is still so mm-hmm. filled with love and mm-hmm. you have a beautiful angel baby now by the name of Luca. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just want me to share a little bit about him? Yeah, I would love for you to share a little bit. Yeah. About him. So Luca is our second um, child and. Charlie was just about two when we got pregnant with him. And I remember going to, um, you get like the 12 week scan, I think. And they look for certain markings um, for certain genetic, you know, abnormalities. And they also check the sex of the baby. But we had said, I went by myself, TJ was working and we had said like, we wanted to be surprised or find out later together. But I'll never forget that Tech was looking at the screen and she was like, well, no girls have that. And she pointed right between his legs. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, so it's a boy. And she was like, yep. And I said, oh, okay. And so it was kind of strange that she told me like that because I didn't even like, again, I was by myself. But I just remember being like shocked because we had a girl and I just assumed that you, you keep assuming that you'll have what you know, I guess. And I was like, oh my goodness, we get to have a boy. That's that's really incredible. And my pregnancy with him was peaceful. Like everything, every scan looked great. Um, all the markers were good. Every, nobody was worried. Um, and then at just about 36 weeks, just about just before nine months, um, I didn't, I there was one morning I had taught a fitness class like a bar class or something and then I went to get my hair cut and um I wanted bangs and the guy wouldn't give me bangs and I was like I just want to change and he was like we don't give women as pregnant as you bangs because we don't know if you really want them or if you just want something different and I was like but I what? I was like, what country am I in? I can't get, he literally would not give me bangs. He was like, that's too big of a change. We don't trust your emotions at this point. (laughs) And I was like, I'll pay you to give me bangs. He wouldn't do it. He just cut like a little inch off. And it was, I was so annoyed because I was like, this is not different. And this is so annoying. And I just remember sitting there and then I was like, I I haven't felt Luca in a while. And so I was like, okay, well, I probably, I haven't been paying attention. So then I just try to be really still and I still hadn't felt him. And there was something inside of me that felt a bit alarmed. But then, you know, I felt like, well, I'm sure he'll start moving. So I go home and I drink orange juice. I drink cold things. I put a fr- frozen bag of peas on my stomach and there's no movement. And so um, I called my midwife. They have like a hotline and they were like, come on in right away. And we're just going to put your mind at ease. We'll get him on the Doppler. And but I still hadn't felt him move and it had been a while. And, and he's so big at that point that like, you should definitely be feeling movement, but it's still such, such an impossible scenario that I don't let myself really go there, that if anything's 
truly wrong. And so it's just me and Charlie. She's a toddler. So I wake her up from her nap and we just walk to the hospital together. Um, and I'm thinking like, as I'm walking, well, maybe he's mo- like, maybe that's a movement. And it's like, you know, I'm hoping. And then we get to the hospital and we're just, I'm not a priority because I'm, I don't have an appointment. And I sit there for a very, very long time. And I, and I start feeling like panicky inside. And I think about like going up being like, I need to know if my baby's alive, but I'm also like a very agreeable person. And that's not my personality to like threaten people or make a scene. So I just sit quietly and I try to like keep my toddler occupied. And I'm like wondering if my baby's okay. And very pregnant women are coming in and out of the lobby looking really happy. And then I finally go back, I finally go in and they just put me in a doppler right away. And um, it's a, a nurse and she's very kind. And she's like, oh, maybe it's like, you don't hear anything. And she's like, well, maybe it's the machine. And so I go to another machine and she's like, you know what, this is, I'm not the the greatest at it. I'm going to just get someone who's better. And so she gets like someone else. And I'm just like laying there being like, they should hear his heartbeat. Like this is, this, this isn't like he's, he is fully like, he's basically, he could be born and he would be okay. So they should definitely hear his heartbeat. Um, and my daughter, what's so interesting about my daughter at that moment is that um, she's like staying with me, like glued to me and she's just kissing my face over and over and over again. And she, that's not really like her. Like she, she did like to snuggle, but um, she, that was really unusual. And I still was just like waiting and I was kind of numb, but like, I just will never forget her kissing my face over and over again. I just felt like it was this grace from God, you know, like you're not alone. Um, and so then they were like, you know what, we are just going to do an ultrasound real quick with you. And, and they're trying to act really upbeat. And I'm just like, there's no way like your, your Dopplers don't work, you know? So we go in at this point, I texted you, TJ, did I text you or call you? No, I think you gave me a call. I called him and I just said, they can't find Lucas heartbeat. So can you please come? And he, he came and, but they, they were doing the ultrasound, I think by the time you got there. And, um, I just remember like there was a doctor who had come in and she was really stoic, like very, very stoic. And she finally just said to me, I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. And I just remember thinking like, well, how, how do I, how do I live with this news? Like, how do I continue being me? How, what's going to happen to our family? What do I do with my baby? He's inside of me. Like, how do I? And so out loud, I said, what does that mean? And she just answered, so matter of fact, it means he's dead. And I was just like, I, I know, I know what no heartbeat means. I was asking, I, w- I just was like, it just was like this moment that I'll never forget. And um, then TJ asked for a moment by ourselves and they left the room and um, we prayed, right? Yep. We just asked that God, um, if, if Luca could live, that he would let him live. And if not, that he would help us. And so I think you asked him to check one more time. Yeah, the news didn't change. Didn't change. And then um, they said something really strange. They were like, there's no real rush if you want to go home for a couple days. And I was like, I was really hugely pregnant. I couldn't imagine 
talking to people on the street or even in our building about my baby who was here but not here. And I, I, I've never been a procrastinator and I was like, I can't even imagine going home like this. I said, I, I, think, I think we need to, whatever you do. And they were like, well, you need to go into labor. And so my sister, um, she was in Boston also, thank God. And so she came and she got our daughter, Charlie, and she was just crying. And then so when I saw her crying, then I just like lost it. And, um, and I was just telling her, I was like, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Cause she's my younger sister. And like, I just want to let her know we're going to be okay. And um, once Charlie left, I didn't try to be like happy anymore. I was just like, okay. And I will never forget the kindness of the nurses. Like my nurse came in, I changed to a gown and she was like, and she said, no mother should have to go through this. And like, I could tell she meant it. There was tears in her eyes. And that kind of um, just genuine grief for other people is like, that speaks volumes. That speaks more than trying to cheer someone up, right? There's no cheering someone up. Mm -hmm. And um, she would just hold my hand and cry. And They were like, it sounds, I, I, I try to describe it. It was terrible. It was terrible. There was an element that was absolutely terrible, but there was also an element that was really sacred and it was still birth and it was still bringing my baby that my body had gr grown earthside and it was still meeting him. And I remember um, while my body was like getting ready to deliver, it was like hours, right? Because you had to get induced with Pitocin and that takes a long time. And TJ and I had these moments that were, that were actually beautiful, which is so strange to say, I know, but it's like grief, like we think of grief as one thing. We think that it's only horrible. And actually grief allows us to kind of hold the sacred, like in this tangible way where we actually see it and we see what matters and we understand that like, for me, that I need God to help me and that it's, a it's never so clear as when I'm grieving. And so life becomes in a way simpler for a moment, for some moments. And I remember talking to the nurse and just like, I felt compelled to tell her about my first marriage and how hard it had been and how my heart had really broken and how I felt so betrayed. And I told her and I was like, but, but that brokenness, I said, that led to TJ and I said, and he's like more incredible than I could have ever imagined. And that was plan B, but that's like the best plan A. Like my plan was so much less than that. And I said, I know that God can do that somehow with this brokenness and it can actually lead to beauty. And I'll never not want my son to be here, but I trust that, that like this grief is not the end of the story or the final say of my life. And I was like, cause I've been, in this dark place where I didn't want to get out of bed and I didn't understand how I could be in my twenties and have this long life ahead of me. And it felt like, like a, a jail sentence. Cause like, how could I live so long with life being so dark and horrible? And I was like, I didn't know that you keep going and that you experience life and you're allowed to enter in and you're allowed to like feel joy again. And I said, but I've seen that before. And this feels different because it's my, it's my son. And I'm never going to be like, you know, like, with divorce, like I'm so grateful now that my marriage ended because TJ is my person. And obviously 
I like I wouldn't have known him if I had stayed married because how would I have known him? Like, I just, I was like, I know that brokenness does not have to be the end of the story. And I was telling my nurse that, and it was almost like I was telling her, but I was telling myself, you know, it was like, I needed to tell the story to remind myself that this isn't the end of the story. And then my mom flew in, my brothers, my one brother flew in from LA. Um, my two brothers drove from down South. And when we delivered Luca, there was so much peace in the room. And I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I mean, I, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, but he was dead, you know, like he, he was dead. His, and I had never even seen a dead body before. I'd never touched a dead body before. And I was sort of afraid of that. And then the nurse wraps him up and she hands him to me and it felt totally natural to hold my child because more than anything he was my child like even though he was dead he was first he was my child and i really believe that your spirit his spirit had flown but his spirit was still alive somewhere in heaven and and i got to hold his precious body and i'm actually you know like um there was a woman growing up that i had known she was friends with my parents she was my parents are ministers of church she was part of um part of church and i had never i never known her like super well because she was always a lot older than me but after we went through this after we lose, lost our son luca this woman um actually happened to i happened to see her again and she sat down and she just started crying she said i need to tell you my story she said not many people know this but my first daughter was stillborn and she said at that time the hospital they took your child you never even saw them they told you to just leave and to try again and hopefully come back and it'll work out. She said, we didn't have a death certificate. We didn't even get to name our child. And she said, it wasn't for, it wasn't until 10 years later when she said, I was, I came to your parents' church and I actually, there was something inside of me that was so hurting, so wounded, so like repressed. And I started talking, my dad's also a counselor. She said, I started meeting with him and talking to him about, I talked to him about my daughter and he finally said, does she have a name? And she said, I started weeping and weeping because no one asked me what her name was. No one t gave me the opportunity to name my child. And he said, why don't you name her? And she told me her name. She said, I named her and something changed within me. And all this to say, like, I'm so grateful that there's such a different understanding now of grief and of, of your of stillbirth, of lose, of loss, and how it's important to hold your child, spend time with your child, take photos of your child. Like that this is this is gonna be something that, yes, so it's painful, it's actually going to bring comfort in the years to come. Naming your child, talking about your child, allowing that child to be a part of your life, even though they're different than the children that you're raising. So um, I think because of that, I do, like you asked me, so kind of you to ask, you know, do you mind if we talk about Luca? I want to be really respectful. I feel so incredibly grateful when people allow me to talk about Luca because um, he is a part of our lives, but he's not a part of our lives where people who just meet us would see. How, how would they know? He's not here in the, in the physical form. Um, they see us and they see us with our three girls and they assume that's the story. And, and that is 
some of the story, but it's not all the story. So I'm always grateful to talk about Luca because he is my child, you know, and I'm always going to want to talk about my children. And it was your creation and it was life and it still is because you're keeping it alive. And that is so important. It's so important to always talk about it and share it. And, you know, it, and it, it's not a, it, it obviously is devastating, but it's a beautiful devastation because it is a part of you that made you stronger. If mm-hmm. you, you feel stronger, you feel more connected, more able to move forward, but with Luca. I think that that is still such a wonderful thing that you all as a family move forward with Luca. Luca is all around. And you were able to then move forward with Luca and with Charlie and have two more children, mm-hmm. yeah. which, is, which is just so wonderful and inspiring for anyone listening right now that is either having trouble getting pregnant or, you know, is, is having issues, you know, and that the pregnancy isn't going to plan. It, how did you both communicate after that just like, did it feel like you had to rebuild or was it just something that now this is like the next layer that we build on top of to, to go, to go forward? Like, how was that for you, TJ? Well, right away, we had this really uplifting warning from one of the nurses. She said, social worker, the social worker came in and said, before, uh, like before I even had Luca. Yeah. She said, half of the people who go through this don't stay together. So I was like, oh, well, that's fun, dudes. <laughs> um, I guess we'll try and figure that one out now. That's a cute statistic. Yeah. So that being said, I didn't feel like that was going to be our story right from the start. I knew that, that we were going to be on the other side of that. I just, I love Jess so much and she loves me back so much that we've always been really conscious of how to remain in unity together and how to come into agreement on whatever we're going through. And right away, I feel like, in a way, going back to my story about how I met Jess, I prayed that I would keep loving that special person more and more every day. And we talk about this often. There's no question that going through that has brought us closer together. And we have a deeper love that we would not have without going through that. It's just, there's no other way to think about how would we, it's amazing, in a way, that that cause us to love each other more. And so, you know, I, I went through my own form of grieving differently than Jess. I, I didn't cry when everything happened, which was strange. Um, but then two weeks later, I got hit with shingles. And so Jess's therapist said, well, the grief is going to come out somehow. And so I learned my lesson. Now, anytime I'm holding back any sort of emotion, Jess will say, do you want to cry or do you want shingles? Which one do you want? <laughs> and I go, all right, well, I will, I will try my best to form a tear here and get moving on the tears. But um, yeah, I, I tend to look at the, not to say the bright side, but I, I like to look on the other side of the darkness. And I like to think about how when you plant a seed, how it's in the pure dark before it sprouts through the ground and there's this light and hits the light. And I think we very clearly saw that in our situation. We saw this piece that didn't make sense in the midst of something so horrific that most people don't even want to talk about it. Like this is a subject that after this happened, there were people who I was very close with in my life and and also people that I worked with. Some of them couldn't even look me in the eye 
And I actually, I felt bad because I, I sensed that they were so uncomfortable. And so I just met them where they were. But um, it's a really tough subject for, for other people to talk about. And I think Jess and I have found that we feel very comfortable talking about it because it's not 100% dark. There, there's a lot of darkness there, but something else comes out of it. And we see that in a lot of different parts of life where there's grief or there's sadness. Um, it is amazing that oftentimes something amazing can come out of the other side. And I mean, a very clear example of that is our two other daughters, Willa and Noah. And it doesn't change the fact that we love our Luca, but they are here because of what happened. So how do you not see that and right. go, well, that's beautiful. So I, I tend to see it that way. And um, I'm, I'm really grateful that I even have the ability to look through that lens. And I think a lot of that is because of the way Jess looks at life. I think that inspired me to start flipping the way I look at things. I think also, Ashley, like one thing that we were really intentional about doing was um, taking a lot of time to talk to each other. And because I remember we would just every day we would take a walk by the river and it'd be this space where, I mean, I, I've really only ever been honest with you, but I would just talk to him about how sad I was. And I would just be like, I'm so incredibly sad. Like, I, I think I'm going to be this sad forever. And I don't ever want to see anyone. I don't want to see friends. I don't want to see people that I know. I, and TJ would just tell me, I don't think you're going to feel this way forever. And he said, but I just want you to know even the very, very profoundly sad version of you makes me so happy because I get to be with you. And he would be so incredibly, like not trying to rush my feelings, but so open to just letting me feel and letting me be honest and um, trying to figure out, like one time I, I have a really dear friend in Boston who I love very much and I hadn't, I, I just hadn't been social. I didn't feel like being social. I didn't, and she also was pregnant. So that added another layer of hardship, you know, and, um, and TJ arranged for her to come to the, he told me, he was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm planning something special for you, uh, on Friday. And so just be ready. And I assumed that it would be he and I and Charlie going somewhere doing something, but instead there's this knock on the door and my dear friend just and, you know, opens the door and she's like, hey, I'm, I'm taking you out. We're going to get our nails done. And I just started sobbing. And I was like, so awkward. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then I just had to go in the other room. And TJ was like, let me figure out what's going on. And he went and followed me. And I was like, I don't want to see my friend. I'm so sorry. I love her so much. I don't want to get my nails done. I don't I don't want to I don't want to be with anyone but you. And so TJ had to go out and he was like, hey, just loves you so much and he was like she doesn't he was like I really read this situation very wrong and he was like she's just not ready and then I actually came out and I was like if my son didn't just die I'd want to go out with you I promise but I was like <laughs> everything's different and she's like I have to credit her she's amazing and she was like I totally understand and she was like Jess I'm here for you whenever like even if it's just texting she's like or if you don't want to see me I totally get it I know it's more complicated and and then eventually I started taking walks with her and I did want to see her but like it's just grief is like it's hard to understand somebody else's grief and so you really have to be um even there was like two very very close friends two of my dearest friends they booked tickets while I was in labor not the second to see me while I was in labor, but while I was in labor, they booked tickets to fly to Boston to spend time with me. And I had to tell TJ, I was like, I don't want them to come. Like, I don't want to see anyone. 
you need space you need yeah you need and space. thankfully they um understood and like they're they were still really close and you know but like when you're going through grief the people who love you they'll let you just they'll let you be and they won't make it about themselves or they won't make it about like i'm your closest friend you need to see me right now you need to tell me how you're feeling or you know they'll just let you have space and 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 tj was really really good about that and also um he was really good about handling all of the, I mean, when somebody dies, there's horrible paperwork that you have to do. There's like, you have to figure out um, cremating and the funeral and like what the ashes are going to be in. And it's terrible. And I didn't have to do any of that. And I would hear TJ like in the other room quietly on this conversation about like, well, how much does this cost? And okay, do you want, and like all this stuff that I did not have to deal with. And I think, Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that helped you to be able to help me. Sure, I was just down for whatever. Like would help it you. felt, it felt good to practically be able to like, even though it was your child too. But I feel like you really focused on me. I don't know if that's the healthiest thing. Well, I think <laughs> no, but I think because of the different versions of grief that Jess has been through over the course of her life, she has learned how to heal, and she's trusted that process so much so that I think it was just a couple months later, you were in the hospital holding your friend's baby. My friend, when she had a bite. So, yeah, I know, wanted to see her baby in the hospital. Right? That's just incredible, and I think that's just a testimony to how Jess so deeply values her mental well-being and the way that she's in a good space, and it's one of the things that I love the most about her. But it's really inspiring, and I think it's also a reason why so many people reach out to her and read her writing and subscribe to her newsletter. It's that kind of material where she's sharing her experience authentically and she's showing how um, there's a way to heal through this stuff. I think there are people who decide or maybe don't know that there is a way to heal. And I think Jess just shares her version of the story and shares another way or another experience. And, and that seems to help some people. And I love that about her. You know what? One of our neighbors who had become our friends, they're really sweet. Um, he's an older, older man. Um, he told me after, like, I was outside walking our dog and I saw him in the park and it was like somewhat, maybe a couple months after Luca had died. And um, he was just like, hey, and he was really gentle, really kind. And we just started talking and he was like, how are you doing? And I said, well, you know, there's like better days and worse days. And um, he said, well, there's something that I want to tell you. He said, um, we were in, he was like, me and my partner were in New York City in the 80s during the height of the AIDS epidemic. And he said, we kept burying friends. We just kept losing friend after friend after friend. And he said, we never decided out loud or talked about it, but he said, we stopped making friends. We came to a point where we were like, we just can't say goodbye to any more people. So we're going to stop making friends. And he said, we closed our hearts off. And he said, I just want to tell you that, like, that's not a way to live. And he said, I really hope that you will choose to keep your heart open and understand that, like, there's still good and there's still it's worth having your heart open to love despite loss. And so that was like such a poignant moment. And I and I said, thank you so much for sharing. And I said, I completely agree. I absolutely think it's worth keeping your heart open. And I think. Partially, um, you know, I think that we decided we were going to to keep trying to expand our family because that's that was a dream of ours to give our daughters siblings on earth. Um, and I think like 
there are horrible things that happen to us and we don't have control over, but we do have control over whether or not we keep our heart open, whether or not we talk about the pain, whether or not we take the agency that is ours and maybe create with this pain, like take the brokenness and tell our story. And it's incredible to me how many people I've been able to connect with just by being open about the pain and the suffering and the grief and the loss that I've experienced and how people will say to me, but you look like you have joy in, in your life. Like, and I'm like, yes, I do. Like grief does not mean that you no longer have joy in your life. It means that you've lost something so incredible, but also it can, it can help you see like how to live, you know, like, like truly I think death teaches us one thing very well. And that is that living is very, very important. And, and Luca has absolutely taught me how to prioritize my life, how to love my children better, how to be present, how to take the time that I have and really do the things that feel meaningful to me. Like I, I, after Luca died, there was a shift where I was like, I cannot um, spend all my time or some of my time doing things that actually don't feel like my heart is 100% invested. Like life is so precious. How can I spend minutes not putting my heart here? And so that's when I started writing more full time. That's when I started being really focused about finishing this, writing this book that I'm writing and um, telling my story. And, and I just, that's from Luca. That's the gift that he's given me. That's his, the gift of his death, which sounds like an antithetical statement, but he really has given gifts to our family. And even like mothering our girls. Like I remember when Willow was born, our daughter right after Luca died, she would be screaming and TJ and I would look at each other and say, she's alive. She's alive to scream. Like, thank God that she's alive. And that's a different, that's a different shift. I, I couldn't, I didn't feel that way when Charlie was tiny because I didn't know. I didn't know. Of course I was grateful that she was here, but it's just different in the wake of loss. You hold life a little bit more, like you realize how precious it is, how fragile it is. And you share that with the girls as well. I feel, I feel like you, you, you share Lucas' story and they, you want them to feel and understand and know. And a, a, a child, you know, needs to know that life is not perfect, right? Sure. And, and to know that they, they do have that angel looking over them, but to feel the emotions and the, the you know, the craziness, the, the the uncertainty of you know being a parent and navigating for the kids and yeah. how the kids are gonna get through it. Back to that, you know, crazy story at the very beginning of this podcast when your little one was throwing the tantrum over the unicorn pajama bottoms. <laughs> I mean, it re you know, unicorn pajama bottoms can really put it into perspective, can it? <laughs> And actually, I'll also point out, just because this comes to mind, Jess recently wrote an article, and in it she mentioned something to the effect of grief being this universal language. And in this time when there's so much division and you can cut a group of people any which way you can imagine, it's amazing how you see people coming together and there's this heart-to-heart -heart human connection that is there when discussing grief, like mm -hmm. that story you, you shared we'd never gotten into a deep discussion with these friends before we'd, you know, passing them in the hallways or seeing them here and there. And now here there's this door that opens for this heart to heart connection 
and this deepening of a friendship mm -hmm. that, you know, we're still in touch with those people. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really a, amazing. Another gift that comes out of such a darkness. Yeah. Massively. Yeah. And, and as you go forward in your busy mumsy world, <laughs> and the ups, downs, and the all-arounds of it all, and the the tantrums, and I, I'm I'm with you. Terrible twos, bottom of the pool. Not I've seen you share about that. And let I me you I, I'm shocked that you actually can't hear Adia's scream where you're located. And just for the listeners, I believe you're in Pennsylvania. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm in London. <laughs> I, she is one hell of a belter. Let me tell you. <laughs> And I, I, I definitely think that Noah probably also is a belter. And well, you, you've got the pipes. So there you have it. <laughs> you now know where it came from. Um, as you go forward in your busy mumsy journey, um, carrying the torch, is there any for our listeners that perhaps are expecting or perhaps going through hard times? Is there any sort of words of wisdom, anything that you would like to pass the torch to a busy mumsy listener? Um. I think that, yeah, I, I would love to say that if you if you have a lot of feelings inside, like, um, or when you have a lot of feelings inside, and not all of them we would quote unquote call positive, like maybe you're dealing with some anxiety, or maybe you're dealing with just feeling completely overwhelmed, or maybe you're physically exhausted, which means that you don't have the resilience that you normally would have, that is not at all a statement as to how you are as a mother you can be and you will be an incredible mother and part of the part of what makes you an incredible mother is that you have these feelings you allow yourself to feel them i really encourage you to find safe spaces where you can share about your feelings if that's you know a therapist someone at a church someone in your family your partner um not your kids but somebody who's more of a peer level and you can talk about your feelings but you can absolutely be, and you are, a loving, incredible mother who also deals with feelings that don't always feel pretty. And it's a both and, not either or. So I just, cause I definitely, you know, I was like, we touched on a little bit with brand new motherhood. I was surprised at how, not surprised at how in love I was, but surprised about the emotions that didn't feel great in the moment and i was surprised by that and i think we have to be able to reconcile that we are fully um complex people that have lots of emotions and that we can feel things and continue to choose to love our kids and put our kids first in the sense that they really need us to put up, put them first right like just because i'm frustrated that my daughter is having a tantrum doesn't mean that I start yelling at her too, right? That would be not putting her first. I listen, I try to help, um, but not all of motherhood feels great. And all of motherhood is absolutely worth it. And it's it's the most meaningful experience of, of my life that and being a co-parent with TJ and mm -hmm. being his wife, the most meaningful experience. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and TJ, as the uh, first dadsy to come on the Busy Monkey platform. I was wondering if you'd be Am the I, first dad. I'm the first? Well, you oh are. My goodness. I'm honored. Thank you. You, you, are, you, are the, you are the first. Couldn't even get my husband on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but he is a huge supporter. I will never, I will, I will never say backhand and then not say that my husband is a huge supporter. So I'm very, very lucky with that. He is my safe space. Um, but I, I, I want you to also pass the torch to, um, with any words of wisdom that you have learned so far in your magical journey as a dadsy. I guess the thing that comes to mind is with humility, there is just some great gain that happens. Once you realize you don't have it all figured out and you start seeking wisdom on some of these matters, it totally changes the game. And I've seen that so many times with parenthood. It's so easy to think you have it figured out and to be like, well, I know because I'm older. And really it's in a way a different language communicating with children, especially if you've never done it before. So there are resources, there are amazing books, there are people who have been writing about this for generations. There are people in our own lives around us who have incredible answers to some of the issues that seem so complex right now. Um, talking to multiple people, finding trustworthy people in this group of counselors has served me so well. And, and obviously being in agreement with Jess on what it is that we want to do as parents and making sure that we're always in this place of agreement before we move forward. That's been the biggest blessing. And that's where I've seen the biggest movement forward. I think it's, I think it's really important, like, um, you know, to have a growth mindset in parenthood, like, like you're not just born an incredible dancer or an incredible mathematician. You learn step-by-step step and you have people who are instructors and teachers and who are really good at it help you learn and it's through discipline and through a process that you become better and so you know maybe you're not naturally the most patient person in the world and but you can grow in patience and i think it's really important to remember that when we um you know give birth to a child or adopt a child and that child is born they're not the only ones who are born a mother is born and a father is born too and so to have grace and to be gentle with ourselves because we really are all growing i mean obviously we're the adults, so it's different, um, but we're growing too. And I think hopefully, you know, you look at your child and they grow so much physically, right? But hopefully there's this spiritual, mental, and emotional component of your own growth. And I, I think that there probably there is, and I think that's important to take note of and think like, wow, I've grown. Like there's moments that um, TJ and I will just like, look at kind of stand back and let the other one sort of take the lead in handling a harder situation. And afterwards, literally TJ will be like, tell me how I did. Like, do you have notes? Yeah. And I'll be like, Oh, well, I, you know, I'm not like, I'm not above or anything, but then I'll be like, actually, I, I did notice this. I was really impressed. Like you wouldn't have handled it like that six months ago even. And I noticed how you've grown in patience. And so like, let yourself feel those wins and take that as a win. And then, continue to grow because we've got friends that have older kids and they're like, they're like little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. You know, I'm yeah. like, Oh, don't tell me <laughs> that. But we have to keep growing. We have to keep fostering this growth mindset instead of this like static thing. Like, well, I am who I am. I'm a parent and this is exactly how I'm going to be. And that's just not true. And the good news is, is that we can grow and we can get better at this and we can become more patient. We can have more wisdom, have more clarity. We can have better, you know, techniques when they're melting down and all this stuff. Yeah, and wow. actually, I, I feel like we owe that to our kids. We, we've decided to have children, 
and they're here. Yeah, they didn't ask and to be here. <laughs> so do, do we want to just do what's lazy or just say, yeah, go on a screen or give into their tantrum because it's easier in the moment? Or do we really want to help lead our children in a Learn way that's... Yeah, in a way that's going to help them grow yeah. the way they're supposed to grow. Yeah. And I think a lot of kids needlessly suffer because of laziness on the part of the parents. And that's a hard thing to swallow. I mean, there are a lot of times where I would love to just take the lazy approach. And I wish I could sometimes because <laughs> it's a lot of work. And sometimes I'm sure we do. Yes. And we're not saying that our kids are screen free because no. they're not. They no, they're not. not. We, and we use it, and it's a tool that we can use in, you know, the and umbrella of our family. And there's great stories. Oh, on the totally. bus <laughs> Yeah, no. And all, all of that is great. All of it's great. But I, I think once I realized, oh, my goodness, this requires work, and it requires research, and I have to treat it like I'm learning the piano. I mean, I, I'm studying the piano right now. I love jazz. Well, how much work am I going to put into it is going to change the results. For a while, I wasn't practicing as much. And so my piano playing sounded horrible. It was static. Jess was I would say horrible. Upset. <laughs> I was playing the same. I did tell I was like, can you learn a new song? Can you learn a new song? Right. <laughs> but you know what? The more I immerse myself in it, I buy a book on it. I talk to a piano player. You have a teacher. I have a teacher. I have somebody over for dinner who plays the piano. And all of these things together all of a sudden completely change what comes out of the piano. And I think the same thing goes for anything that we want to pursue in life, any skill set. Yeah. And how do you not say parenting is a skill set? It is. And it's oh, worth becoming yes. Absolutely. a good parent. It's worth right. becoming a better parent. You're so right that our kids, you know, we say, oh, we'd give them the world when, okay, well, let's just try to give them parents that are growing. Like <laughs> we can't actually give them the world, but we can give them parents that are going to grow. No, absolutely. And you, just every day you're learning and you're growing. And for me, I, I have to say to both of you that I, during this busy mumsy chat, have learned and grown and understood and have just found so much more light to topic grief that I, I, I never thought possible from your words of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, I, for me, I, I, I have experienced things in my past that I still will not come to terms with and don't want to talk about. And mm -hmm. through your words, it, it's so magical to learn and to grow and for me to process and take away from this chat how I could potentially take those tools that you gave during this chat to perhaps work on areas that I need to work on. Mm -hmm. And I hope that any listener that takes this chat in, you know, learns and grows. And it's an important thing because we want to be our best selves, right, for our right. children so that they nurture, grow, and go on to do wonderful and, and inspiring things beyond whatever we've ever done. Like, I want Adia to just go beyond, like, be the astronaut, you know. Do, do do all the things. Be the astronaut, and then the you know the CEO of J.P. Morgan, and then become president. I'm totally cool with it. I mean, right. heck, you become the prime minister for all I care. I right. mean, it'd be wonderful. I do care. I want her to do it all. So, it is an absolute blessing, pleasure. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for coming on to the show and sharing your busy mumsy journey, because I I will be listening to it over and over again. That is for sure. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Busy Mumsy podcast. If you have enjoyed this week's show, then please, please give it some extra love wherever you download your podcast and give it a five-star rating, a high five, a kickball change, a yes, yes, go Busy Mumsies. And don't forget, you can find out more information about this week's guest, what we discussed, and everything else related to the world of Busy Mumsy by clicking the link in the show notes down below. Thank you.